If you could think of just one thing, just one word that describes Christmas best, what would that word be? Indescribable, holy, unpredictable, beautiful, colorful. All those would be good words, but not one of them is the best to describe Christmas. The best word, the best single word to describe Christmas is Emmanuel. We find the word three times in the Scriptures, twice in the book of Isaiah, once in the book of Matthew. I want to read to you from Matthew's Gospel where it appears in the New Testament. Matthew writes this, it said, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We sing it, especially in the chorus entitled Emmanuel, and we sing it in the Christmas carols, O come, O come, Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, and O little town of Bethlehem. The, the name simply means God with us. I say simply because there's no question about what the word means. It's easy to translate, but the concept, the concept of God with us actually defies comprehension. God in our midst, God in our lives, God ever with us, I, I, it, that's a thought beyond my ability to understand. Matthew's chronicle of our Lord's earthly life begins with this description and ends in the very last chapter in the closing verses with Jesus' own promise when Jesus said before he left this world, and lo, I am with you always, Emmanuel. The psalmist declared it in the shepherd's psalm when he writes, Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Emmanuel. Jesus assures the frightened disciples on the storm-tossed sea that night, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Emmanuel. When he goes to the little village of Nain and he raises the widow's son just before she gets him to the burial place, the people of the city, when the young man is alive again, said, God has visited us. Indeed he had, Emmanuel. And the Apostle Paul said it best, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Emmanuel. The law would declare that God is against us. If all we had was the old law, it would seem that God is against us. But God's grace, as is so clearly spelled out in the Scripture, reminds us that God is with us, Emmanuel. No single word describes Christmas better. And when he came, it was not with Roman fanfare or temple trumpets blasting or the famous and the powerful bowing at some elaborate coronation. No, when he came, he came in the simplest of ways. He lived the simplest of lives and manners, and he taught us profound truths in the simplest of lessons. In his parables and sermons, Jesus used the ordinary things to communicate extraordinary truth. Now you'd think, wouldn't you? You'd think if God came down to be among us, that God would have spoken first to the powerful and maybe spoken only to the powerful. You'd think, wouldn't you, that the God of the universe who created everything that we know, created us, would speak with such intellect that none of us could approach or understand. But that's, that's not who he is. 
Emmanuel, God with us, communicated in the simplest ways, and Jesus took the simplest things to teach us profound truths. Now, I'm going to take a few minutes this morning, and uh, we're, we're just going to take some of these simple items that you've brought and you've put in this box, um, th these objects, and I'm going to see if we can learn some lessons about life and about our faith and about Christmas, perhaps, in these objects, because that's what Jesus did. He took these things that were ordinary to us and reminded us what great truths God has for us. One day, he saw a farmer sowing the seed, and he said, you know, that reminds me the Word of God is like seed that a farmer sows, and he throws some of the seed on the hard ground, and it gets trampled on, and it doesn't grow. And some of it gets thrown on the wayside, and the birds pick it up before it has a chance to settle into the ground and, and, and grow. And some falls on the thorny soil, and, the, and then the seed springs up, but then the thorns spring up with it and choke it out. He said, but some falls on the good soil and produces great rewards. And everybody sitting there understood what he was talking about because they could see the farmers sowing their seed. And the simple lesson was to remind us that our lives, our hearts are to be like good soil where the Word of God takes root and grows and produces. So, let's see what we've got here. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, first off, I've had a heads up on this one, Okay. Uh, because if I hadn't, I, I, I honestly would not have known what the... How many of you know what I'm holding right now? Okay, a few of you do. This is a hurley, and it is a part of the game of hurling. Now, uh, hurling is really popular in Ireland, and uh, when I studied up a little bit on, on the hurling, because um, I've got a heads up, this was coming earlier in the week, and I watched some video about it. It was really interesting to me that hurling seems to be uh, a, a combination of a lot of different sports. I mean, it's a really rugged sport. Uh, it reminds me of field hockey in some ways because you can hit the ball. The ball is about the size and consistency of a baseball, so it's hard. Uh, sometimes the ball is actually carried uh, on the hurley, and uh, sometimes you catch the ball with your hand like you would in baseball in your run. Um, th then there's a couple different ways to score. There's a big net that looks like a soccer net, and you can hit the, uh, the ball into the net, and I think that's three points. Uh, so it, yeah, that's kind of like kicking the ball into a soccer net, but up above that are two goalposts like you'd have in football, and if you actually hit the ball like you would in baseball and send it through the goalposts, that's worth one point. It's a fascinating game to watch, but it seems to me, for all of its intensity and its vibrancy, to be a combination of a lot of different games, bits and pieces from a lot of games that we recognize and love and all put together. And and when I think of the coming of Christ, I think that he has taken the bits and pieces of all our lives and made sense out of them. And for me, when we come to the Christmas season, we're, we're looking at people all around the world. Uh, and some celebrate it on different dates, but everybody in the church around the world celebrates Christmas and Christ coming into this world. And what the Lord has done is he's taken people of different languages and different cultures and different races and different generations and different likes and dislikes, and he's put us all together in one family, and he's made it a vibrant, intense family. I kind of like hurling. I didn't know much about it until this week, and I like what I see because it reminds me that this is what God has done with us, brought us from all different backgrounds, and brought us together as one people. And that's all what started on Christmas morning. Okay, let's see what else we got in here. 
Dollar bill. Somebody gave me a tip. That's really nice. <laughs> I, I guess that's not it. You know, this, you, more dollar bills have been to church than any other denomination over the years. I guess you know that as well. Today, a dollar bill doesn't buy much. Um, I think of a dollar bill as being something that's a little bit more expendable. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why our government has never changed the print on a dollar bill. It's not worth counterfeiting. And so while they have changed the 50s and 100s and 20s and 10s and 5s, actually, they have not upgraded the $1 bill because it's not worth the effort and the price. It just isn't worth much. When Jesus came into this world, he came into a world and into a family that knew poverty. Joseph and Mary uh, were poor people. Um, they would have been accustomed to something like this. I remember the story that Jesus told of the widow who took her two pennies, her two mites, and put them into the offering. And Jesus said she's given more than everybody else because she gave it all. You see, it's not the amount that matters. It's the heart that matters. It's the sacrifice that matters. And when we come to Christmas, that's really the heartbeat of it all, the heart and the sacrifice with which we come to the Christ. Seems fitting for Christmas, doesn't it? A crown. I don't know where the crown came from. Um, but when Jesus was born, he was born a king. The Magi, who sometimes we, we call them the three kings, or most appropriately we call them the three wise men. They were astronomers that came from Persia on their journey. But they came as ambassadors from a faraway land and they gave him a gift of gold. That was one of their gifts, a gold that was fitting for a king. They gave him frankincense, which was a sweet perfume that would have been fitting for a priest serving in the temple. They also gave him myrrh, which was a burial ointment, which would have been fitting for someone who was going to be a sacrifice or somebody who was working at the temple like a priest. And so a prophet, a priest, a king, a savior. When I think of Christmas, one of these could have been hanging over the corner of the manger because he came to be our king. By the way, when we're done, you need to pick up your things and take them home with you, all right? Um, anybody know what this is? Can you see it from out there? It's, a, it's one of those little egg timer kinds of things that are used in, in games and that kind of thing. The sand falls from one place to the other, and when the sand reaches the, the next end, while you know your time is up, people use them for cooking, they're used in games, but, but it is a way of measuring time. Uh, when I think of time in the Scripture, there are two words that are translated in the New Testament for time. One of, one of them is the word chronos, from which we get our word chronology, which means the big, vast expanse of time, but the other one is kairos. And it describes a point in time and opportunity. In the book of Galatians, we are told, uh, where, where Paul writes, he says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And the word there is kairos. It means an opportunity, a point in time. God sees the opportunity, that moment in history, to bring us Jesus Christ. And it was a great moment in history. The, the Roman Empire had brought a sense of peace to that part of the world. The Greek culture had settled in over that part of the world at that time. And Greek, the Greek language became sort of a universal language uh, that even though it wasn't maybe your native tongue, you spoke it because it was the language of commerce. And the Hebrew people had managed to 
to get the message out into the world that there is one God, that they were a people who worship but one God. And in that time period, at that moment, at that opportunity, God sent his son because it was the right time so that we might celebrate. For the last 2,000 years, he's coming into this world because his timing is always perfect. And can I tell you this? In your own personal life, his timing is perfect. We may not see it, we may not understand it, we may not know it, but it's perfect. So the Lord who created time for us and in the fullness of time sent his son, you let him take the time of your life and make the most out of it. I've been kind of avoiding this one in here. Yeah. It's a styrofoam head. Everybody recognize, the, what, what kind of an image is this? People, this is not a hard test, all right? Is, what, kind, what creature is, is this? Human being, all right, thank you very much, all right? Uh, there's no score, all right? We're, this is back and forth right now. You've got to help me out on some of these. And so you see this styrofoam head. I don't know whether it's used for holding a wig or what it is, but you see that styrofoam head, and you, re you recognize immediately, okay, that's the image of a, of a human being. The opening verses of God's Word are, we are created in the image of God. Now, we don't look like God physically. We have these attributes that we share with God. God is, has given us intellect. He's given us emotions. He's given us a will. Uh, and He's given us a soul. In that way, we are a reflection of the image of God, mental, emotional, spiritual, uh, and, uh, and these things come together in a way that makes us a reflection of Him. However, when Jesus came into this world, He left behind what was His glory in heaven and took on our image. When you look down into that manger, what the shepherds saw, what Mary and Joseph saw, was a tiny human being. The book of Philippians says that, God did, uh, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but laid it aside, becoming one of us, taking on him the form of a human being and made in the likeness of humanity, became a servant. And so, what you see happening on Christmas, the very first Christmas, is that God became one of us, where at the beginning he created us in his image. At Christmas, he took on our image. This is a wooden nickel. Anybody ever get a wooden nickel? When I was growing up, they always said, don't take any wooden nickels. And I think that was because wooden nickels weren't worth much. Um, this one happens to be worth something. It says on here, uh, free bagel, good for one free bagel. I never met a bread I didn't like, all right? And while the Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, I, you know, I, I, think, I think I could make a pretty good show of it and, and run for it from that standpoint. We like the word free. You hear the word free and your ears perk up, don't they? Mine do. And the word free appears in the Scriptures quite a bit. But my favorite part comes from Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift. When you think of Christmas, it's about the gift that God gave. Why do we give gifts? Because God started it by giving us the free gift of His Son. By the way, bagel is a form of bread and reminds me of the city or the little town of Bethlehem. Anybody know what the town of Bethlehem means? Bethlehem means house of bread. 
Anytime you see words or names of places in the Scriptures, and it starts with B-E-T-H, Beth, as in Bethany, Bethphage, Bethsaida, or Bethlehem, it means house of. And so Bethlehem, Lachem, being bread, means house of bread. How fitting, how fitting that the bread of life would be born in the little town called the house of bread. This is a cell phone. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, it's not working uh, anymore. Um, I am amazed when I think of the technology and how far phones have come over the years. Roger was telling me just the other day um, that he was either read it or he heard it that when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, that there was a big discussion on what do you do when you get somebody on the other end? How do you respond to that person? Uh, you know, we, we just answer the phone, and it's, it's a combination of hello or hi or something like that. But when they, the phone first came into being, that was a big deal. And uh, Thomas Edison, inventor Thomas Edison, said, I think you simply should say hello. And, and it kind of stuck. Alexander Graham Bell wanted us to, wanted us to say ahoy. And that just doesn't have a good ring when you, you, know, you pick up on the phone and you say, ahoy. So I'm glad that Thomas Edison won out on that. But a phone is used for communication. It is to talk to somebody else. Long before phones were around, God decided that the best way to talk to us was in person. I mean, after all, he'd sent the Word. He'd sent prophets of old that communicated His Word and His revelation, but when God really wanted to communicate with us, He did it face to face. He came to be one of us so that we might know Him fully and completely. Today, we have what is called Skype, where you can talk to somebody, or, or things like Skype, where you can talk to somebody halfway around the world and you can see their image on your computer screen or your iPad or whatever device that you've had. And it's so exciting for families if they've got uh, men and women in the service that are, that are halfway around the world and they can connect with them face to face. But God did it even better than Skype. He came to be one of us to live among us so that he might communicate to us the glory of God and the glory of heaven. This looks to be a mem memory board. Yeah. I don't know how much memory is on here, um, but it fits into a computer. And if, you, you know, if it's out of your computer and you plug it in, you, you will expand the memory of your computer to, to latch onto a whole lot of other things. Uh, I think one of God's greatest gifts at, 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 of life, and especially at Christmas time, is the gift of memory. Because when you can share the memories, I mean, we stop and think about Christmas times. What do we talk about a lot about? Do you remember the Christmas of? And we go back and we play it in our mind. And um, I know Elsie often quotes, and I wish I could tell you who said it, but God gave us memory so that we would have roses in December. It's a beautiful thought that as we grow older, our memory becomes more important and more valuable. What, what overwhelms me is that God remembers everything. And when the day comes that my mind fails and I may not know anything anymore, God's memory will still be fully intact. And while my mind may not know Him, He will always know us. God's greatest gift, one of them, to us is memory.
I have no idea what's in this bag. <laughs> uh, there's even a whistle on it. I don't look good in stripes. Okay, this is uh, IHSAA official referee's uniform. I guess I'm glad to know that God has become an eternal referee, that He watches the fouls and He keeps track of all the offenses, but that God doesn't always blow His whistle, that God reaches down, forgives us, and helps us to find true meaning and hope in, his, in Him and in, in life. Aha! Now, I don't know if you all can see this or not. Matthew, is this the one you brought? All right, all right. Matthew told me he had something that's, that's been around for a hundred years, and um, I wasn't sure what it was. I didn't see him put it in the box, but I know what it is now. It's Cloverine Sab. How many of you remember Cloverine Sab? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Some of you are about 100 years old. I, uh... <laughs> My grandparents kept a jar or a tin like this of Cloverine Sab in their cabinet, and any time there was a wound or a hurt or a burn, they would go and they would grab the Cloverine Sab, and somehow it made everything better. That and kerosene. <laughs> I think of this ointment that, that reminds us of the healing that only Jesus can bring. The Bible talks about him as the great physician. The Bible speaks of the healings that he did throughout history. I'm glad to know that when your heart is broken, you can go to him and he'll bring healing. I'm glad to know that in the tough moments of life when you don't have answers, you can go to Him and find healing. You won't necessarily find the answers that will satisfy, but God does heal. Some, the old expression is, you know, time heals all wounds. I don't think that's true. I think God heals all wounds in time. Never takes away the emptiness. Never takes away the hole in our heart. Never completely heals what things happen in this world. But my only hope in the tough moments of life, I find in him who is the great physician and who heals all wounds, either here or when we get home. Well, there's some other things in the box, but I don't have time to go through all of them. And if you brought something and I didn't get to it, I'm sorry. We'll do it again one of these days, and you can bring some other things. You know, I, I, there, there are a lot of questions in life we simply can't answer. Um, I, I wish we had more answers. As a matter of fact, the blank spaces, the, 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 the white space between the verses in Scripture, I think sometimes is uh, fodder for curiosity. I mean, do, do you ever stop and think beyond the story to ask questions in your mind like, did Eve ever like fruit again after what happened in the garden? <laughs> did Noah sleep well when it rained? Did Solomon have the marriage vows memorized? Did Moses avoid bushes? Did Peter ever try walking on water again? And would any woman have married the Apostle Paul if he had proposed? There are many unanswered questions about Christmas, too. You know, we, we put all the Christmas story, we get it all kind of jumbled every once in a while. There's a lot we don't know. Where was the manger located? Did Joseph find a midwife to help Mary deliver that child? 
Did Mary object when the smelly shepherds came out of the hills, first of all, to see her brand newborn son? How many nights did Jesus spend in the manger before they were able to get a room? When did they move into a house in Bethlehem? How many magi really did come? They brought three gifts, but how many were there that had come from Persia? These questions aren't all that important. I do find them curious. I wish the Bible had a little bit more information, but we have everything that we need to know. But I will tell you this this morning, that the single name Emmanuel that we started with answers the most important questions about Christmas. Emmanuel answers the who of Christmas. If you were to ask a whole lot of people, you'd go out to the mall and just say, who's the central character of Christmas? You'd probably get all kinds of answers like Santa Claus or Rudolph or Frosty or if they were a little bit more spiritual, maybe the Magi or Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. But really, really the principal character of Christmas is, is God himself. He's the designer and the orchestrator of it all. Christmas was completely implemented by him. It was not motivated by the pleading and the begging of humanity. It was motivated by the love of God who longed for a relationship with his creation, who longed to find a way where he could restore us to him. This wonderful holiday of warmth and joy would not exist if God did not exist. The who of Christmas always has been, always will be God himself. And Emmanuel answers the where of Christmas. Most of us would respond, oh, the where of Christmas, that's Bethlehem. Well, yes and no. The real where of Christmas is you, in your life, in your heart. Emmanuel means God with us. You're the place of Christmas. And then Emmanuel answers the how of Christmas. This was no ordinary event, and so it could not come in an ordinary way. Our Lord's birth was a unique, one-of-a-kind birth. The prophets had proclaimed it hundreds of years before. Now, now, from the biblical account, folks, human life has been created in four different ways. The first one, Adam, out of dust. Eve, the second, from a rib. The rest of us, through natural birth. And Jesus, by virgin birth. Why a virgin birth? And does it matter? Yeah, it matters. Now, now take a look at this picture and see if I can help explain this to you. You see that? Everybody recognize what that's supposed to be? Liberty Bell, that's correct. All right. But do you see what it's composed of? Yeah, that's taken from like on top of a building looking down on a group of people who have, uh, well, they're, they're standing in the shape and they're wearing the colors that stand out. Now, when you see that picture, the first thing you can conclude is that didn't happen by accident. I mean, people don't just stand around in the shape of bells. Let's face it, that's not a natural thing to do. Somebody orchestrated that, figured out what colors to wear, where people could stand so they could get that picture. Now, here's what I want you to see. This birth, this birth of Jesus is no achievement of mere human conception. The virgin birth points to the to the miraculous power of God. It is a result of the divine plan. The virgin birth is God's signature on Christmas. And you say, ah, really? Hey, folks, cloning is no longer the stuff of science fiction. We've done that with animals. Who knows where science will take that? If we, mortal human beings, can figure out how to clone, if God is God, it would be no difficulty for God to perform a virgin birth birth. If God is God, nothing is impossible for him. But the birth is no simple 
matter. It is fundamental to our faith. You see, Jesus could not be God in the flesh if there had been no virgin birth. He would simply have been the product of a human relationship, making him not divine, but just one of us. And if he is not God in the flesh, then he cannot be our Savior because only God could pay that penalty for our sins. So, so it boils down to this. If there wasn't a virgin birth, then the whole house of cards collapses. He needs to, he needs to have begun that way for him to be qualified to be our Savior. And without a miraculous birth, he could not have been Emmanuel. God with us. The best word of all to describe Christmas. And because of Emmanuel, we don't need to wring our hands and cry, what is this world coming to? We can express our thanks because we know who has come to this world. Emmanuel, God with us.